The horse right here, the name is Paul Revere. And here's the guy that says if the weather's clear, can do, can't do. This guy says the horse can do. And if he says the horse can do, can do, he can do. With us today, we have a very special guest. John Miller is joining us. Broadway fans will know John from, John, about 130 Broadway shows. Is that about right? That's about right. 130 Broadway shows. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a second. But really, uh, what I've been excited about is this week listening to his, uh, his new album. And uh, it's called Stage Door Johnny. And, uh, John, welcome to Broadway Radio. Thanks for... Thank uh, you. I'm glad to be here. So, um, John, you are a, uh, somebody who has, has had a lifetime of experience in Broadway, and uh, now you've got this album, Stage Door Johnny. Tell us a little bit about the album. Well, you know, I, I, I'm primarily a, a bass player, <clears throat> and... Uh, as most musicians who I know, we all play another instrument just for the fun of it. I know a, a fantastic oboe player who uh, is a deep, deep, deeply into the bagpipe world. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, I know a great um, French horn player who is a very deep jazz piano player. But none of these instruments that these professional musicians play, none of these hobby instruments, do they ever, do they ever p- professionally play. So with me, it's the guitar. I never studied the guitar, but I picked it up as, as a kid. And it was always my sort of go-to instrument for something to do other than playing the bass. Uh, so... When I would come back from a long day of working as a music coordinator with Broadway shows, as well as schlepping the bass all around town, I'd, I'd come home, I'd get to the house probably, I don't know, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning. My wife and our dog would be sound asleep, and I would be wide awake. <laughs> yes. So I'd uh, pick up the guitar turn on the TV, hit mute, uh, either watch a basketball game or uh, the episode of Young and Restless that I missed. And uh, I'd be up for a number of hours and I'd pick up the guitar. And I would just find myself playing one or two chords just in some interesting kind of hypnotic kind of Philip Glass kind of groove. Uh, with no agenda, no song in mind, no anything in mind, just uh, something to do while I was watching sports on TV. And somewhere from down deep in the gene pool, 
all of a sudden a a song would come out. So like I'd be, yeah, let me let me grab it here. I'd be uh, I'd, I'd be sitting there and I'd be going. Hours and hours, with no no song in mind, no concept, no anything, <clears throat> and all of a sudden, I, I would find myself singing. I don't know where the hell it came from. I'd find myself singing. All I want is a room somewhere from my fair lady. Yeah, I have no idea. I it's I wasn't saying, oh, let me come up with an interesting version of My Fair Lady. It just emerged. And that's basically how all the tunes on this album came about. I had, you know, most smart people and certainly people who I know when they're going to do their own album, they very carefully and intelligently come up with a concept. I'm going to do this composer stuff. I'm going to do this lyricist stuff. I'm going to do songs with the color blue. I'm going to do, they have some theme. I had absolutely no bloody theme whatsoever. (laughs) And before I knew it, a couple of years later, I had all these tunes that by pure coincidence, happened to be from Broadway shows. And because of the fact I sort of don't know what I'm doing on the guitar, uh, and I'm not a, what, what one would call a professional singer, I sing like a musician. So all of a sudden I found myself doing these tunes, not in a particular way that I tried to do them, I did them in the only way I knew how to do them. So when I would open up my mouth, that's what would come out. That's how this album came to be. That's really, uh, you know, wonderful. We, we you often wonder about what's the life like after a Broadway show because you you know, eight p.m. You have to be on the top of your game at 8 p.m., whereas most people are just starting to wind up their night. So, you know, by 11 p.m. or or midnight, you know, you guys are uh, you're done with the show, but it's the middle of the day for you. So it's interesting to see how you're spending your time post-show. And you've got such a long history on Broadway. I mean... I, I can't even start to name 130 shows that you, you've been involved with from things like Waitress to A Bronx Tale to Miss Saigon to It Should Have Been You to Gigi to news, uh, <laughs> Newsies. Um, my goodness, uh, you know, what are some real amazing memories that you have and did they connect you to any of this uh, music that you're, you've put out now? Well, the best memory is how this whole thing even began. Uh, I, like I said, my, my, I, I'm primarily a bass player. Mm-hmm. So I've had these two ongoing careers. Well, I had, as a bass player, I had played a lot in the 70s with Cy Coleman. Oh. Uh, we've done gigs together and done a number of albums. 
And <clears throat> I was in a show of his called I Love My Wife, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, four of us musicians, uh, uh, quote, acted, quote, sang, quote, danced. Um, and it was just four musicians and four actors. That was the entire show. Um, and so we're just cavorting around, uh, for people who are familiar with that show, uh, our big song that we sang was this song called Hey There Good Times. Well, all my friends back then who were actors or, or wannabe actors and were trying to get into equity, they were flabbergasted when I told them I'd been asked to be in this Broadway show and they got me in equity. And I said to my friends, and what's equity? Uh, <laughs> and, and then believe it or not, we, the four of us in the band, we won the drama desk award that year. And I said to my friends, what the hell is a drama desk award? <laughs> <laughs> So my, I had a long relationship with Cy Coleman. And then around 1981, he said to me, uh, I have this show called Barnum coming in and I need a music contractor. Uh, would you would you like the job? And I remember looking Cy straight in the eye and saying, Cy, absolutely not. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, now, I knew very, very little about Broadway. I had subbed twice on the original Promises, Promises. I had subbed a little bit on the original Grease. And uh, I think I subbed when Paul Schaefer was the music director, maybe off-Broadway of Godspell. Other than that, I knew nothing about Broadway. I, and I had heard rumors, whether they were true or not, I have no idea, but I had heard rumors that the whole Broadway contracting thing was just kind of slimy and kickbacks and sexual favors, and the whole thing just sounded, you know, like nothing I wanted to be anywhere near. So I said to Cy, I said, Cy, oh, I, that's right, when I, I, I told him absolutely not... He looked at me. He couldn't believe it. And um, and this was his line that he loved saying for like 20 years after that. His line was, I got to give it to some schmuck. I just as soon give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I said to him what I still say these days when I don't know what to do. I said, uh, I'll get back to you. And I polled all my pals and I said, what would you guys do? And they all said the exact same thing. They said, try it. You, you, you might hate it. Uh, you might be okay with it. You might dig it. They might dig you. Just, just, just try it once. So I said, okay. I was a deer in the headlights. I, sort of re- I was flying by the seat of my pants. I had a number of very smart, uh, compassionate people help me. And uh, I'm not sure I did a, a, a bang up job with it, but the show was successful. And, uh, and Cy kept on asking me to do some of his other shows. And then 
a number of other composers uh, started asking me if I'd uh, uh, be involved with their shows. And I remember calling Cy. It's not that I wanted Cy's permission. I didn't think I needed permission, but I was hoping for his blessing about it. Mm, Yeah. And uh, he said in pure Cy Coleman fashion, he said, absolutely, you should do it. I'm sure you'll do a great job. Pause, pause, pause. But save the best cats for our shows. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how that started 130 shows ago. And uh, so it's been, uh, you know, that the best thing about that job and it's it's sort of the, now they sort of call it a musical a, a musical co- coordinator uh the the best thing about that job is to be able to give deserving work to deserving musicians it's a it's a wonderful feeling and of course the reverse is is just as bad which is not being in a position to give so many more deserving musicians the deserving work. So that's my long blathering answer to how that sort of came about. Tell uh, tell our listeners, uh, what is a Broadway musical coordinator? I mean, uh, it can mean so many different things on so many different shows, uh, a play versus a musical. Even from musical to musical, it can mean different things. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of uh, a catch-all title in some instances. So how how does it stack up for you? Well, I, I, I'm not sure that I would take the same view. Okay. Um, you know, when people walk into a theater to see a show, they pretty much know how the actors got there. The actors auditioned. The dancers audition. Us musicians, we don't have auditions. We only have auditions for for symphony orchestras and here in New York for Radio City. Other than that, we don't have auditions. We don't have agents that uh, their job is to try to get their clients work. All we have is one another, our reputation, and word of mouth. So the interesting thing is when you walk into a theater, no one ever thinks these things, but it's fascinating to, to, at least for me and friends of mine, how the hell are the, did those musicians get into the pit? How, who, who, how, how did it come about that there's a band playing in the pit? So that's a lot of the main job of the music coordinator. Who's the right person for that show? Who's the right person for that style of music? Who's the right person for the personality of the conductor? Who's the right person who really lives that style of music? Who's the right person that's going to want to be there quite a bit? And there are lots of other people other than the music coordinator that have vested interests and rightly so the conductor has musicians who he, uh, who he or she knows the orchestrator has people that they know 
The dance arranger has people. So everyone sort of uh, pools their resources together. And the goal is that when an audience walks in, that all those musicians sitting in that pit for that night are the perfect musicians for the audience to hear play the music for that show that they bought tickets for. That's the goal. So let me tell you, my Broadway life, uh, as most other people, they, most people have a before and after. You know, right. before you saw this show and after you saw this show. Right. And for me, it was City of Angels. Yep. And I have to tell you that to hear those horns and that that orchestra in City of Angels was a before and after moment for me. What was it like to work for, work on City of Angels? Well, first of all, you're the preacher talking to the converted. Let me tell you that. Uh, it was one of the greatest experiences not only I've had, but so many musicians in New York City that one were fortunate enough to be in that band, two were fortunate enough to sub in that band, and three were fortunate enough to go hear the score, whether at the show or even on the cast album. And then on the tour of City of Angels, I can't tell you how many well-known jazz musicians who had basically retired, moved out of you know, New York or California, living in Arizona or whatever they were living, I can't tell you how many of them called me up who had never played a show and said, hey, I heard City of Angels is coming to Arizona. I'd love to play the show. It was a thrilling experience. And I remember hearing Cy and David Zippel, the uh, the, the lyricist, hmm. Early on, hearing some of those tunes that they were writing way before there was any orchestra, and I was just, you know, as a as a bass player and as a guy who plays a lot of jazz, I said, this is uh, almost, this is so good, it can't be a hit. <laughs> uh, so it was the players that played that show, the people that subbed that show still talk about that. And then you had Billy Byers, the orchestrator, who was one of the greatest orchestrators, you know, you know, for Sinatra and uh, uh, Count Basie. And uh, I mean, he just went nuts with this stuff. And between he and Cy, I, I mean, I can't think about that tune and not have a huge smile on my face. I you know, the City of Angels thing, it, it's amazing to me that we haven't seen a revival of it on Broadway. Uh, it seems to be a, a, a very expensive show to do. Uh, one of the excuses used by by people saying that uh, they couldn't mount it again. But it was just an honor to sit in that audience a couple of times to hear that orchestra and see what was happening on that stage because it made such a huge impression on me. I, just... couldn't, I couldn't agree more with you. And you're in good company with a lot of great uh, mu musicians, whether they be jazz musicians, Broadway musicians, freelance musicians. 
they all feel the exact same way. It was a, a, a monumental musical experience. That couple of years in your life, you had City of Angels, you had Secret Garden, you had Will Rogers Follies, you had Jelly's Last Jam, you had the Who's Tommy, Beauty and the Beast, Cyrano. Uh, I mean, what what was going through your head? You know, this was this was when this is when you know Disney came to Broadway and turned around Forty Second Street, and Broadway coming out of some horrific seasons started to re- regain its life again. Correct. Correct. Well, look, one of the things that uh, when when it's a season as busy as that, and even to this day, I'm always so grateful that uh, producers uh, are are understanding when they say uh, we're having a production meeting after the show. And I say to them, guys, I wish I could be there, but I have a $50 blues gig that I want to play. <laughs> so I'm always touched that they have still been putting up with me. Uh, but, you know, it was just a really, I mean, it's, it's always great to be able to have so many musicians uh, get those chairs in those shows. Having a Broadway show for a musician can really change their life around. You, I'm going to assume here, because this is the first time you and I have ever spoken, but you made some phone calls when you were putting together your album. Because this is not, I don't hear one synth on this album. I mean, you have real, real musicians sitting there uh, playing throughout. It, It sounds amazing. Well, you know, lots of friends of mine... Uh, have done their own albums. And, and, that, and I encourage all musicians to do their own CD because it's so, you know, with all the uh, stuff that one can do on their, on their computer, uh, it, it's a wonderful experience. And I encourage everyone I know to take time out to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some musical project that, uh, that shows how I'm feeling about music at this time in my life. Now, unlike many of my friends, I avoided, uh, I avoided making this CD for a good 20 years. <laughs> I had these tunes uh, 20 years ago, and I just kept on avoiding doing it and avoiding doing it, either because I was so busy, but I, I don't know. But the thing that, the, the 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 reason for doing it, there was uh, one night that my wife Connie heard me for after twenty years, uh, you know, heard me just in in the living room playing these tunes, and she said, "Enough already, record them." I can't stand, you know, enough already. I've had it. Go and record it. So that morning, I called my friend David Spinoza who's a wonderful musician and a terrific producer, because I said to myself, I I want a co-producer with this because I want to as much as possible to be the quote artist. Uh, But so I wanted someone else that I could bounce things off with. I decided that I wanted Michael Golub to be the engineer I called both those guys right then. I said, guys, let's go do this. 
I said, but there's one rule that I'm going to insist on with all of us. That's that if we don't know if something is good or something working, it'll be two thirds majority. So if you guys say, no, this is good, and I'm still on the fence, I've chosen you because I trust you guys implicitly. And from that moment on, I didn't look back until the album was done. And what's what's fascinating for me, in terms of speak, speaking to other people, I had I had no idea what I was going to do after these tunes were all were all mixed and mastered. I didn't have any game plan. I didn't say, well, you know, what's next? Am I going to give this to a label? Am I going to give? And I was kind of really disappointed when finally it was completely mastered. And I said, uh, oh, man, this is a drag because I wasn't particularly interested in performing. uh, And I didn't know what to do. So... uh, the so the experience of doing it uh and each song had its own sort of flavor to it and i just knew which musicians i wanted for each particular song you pulled in some pretty good voices too i needed as much help as possible trust You have had the uh, a unique opportunity that not very many people with on Broadway have had an opportunity to do. You have done uh, two different productions of the same show on Broadway, and we'll talk about uh, one of them right now. Oklahoma, you are involved with the current revival. You were also involved with the 2002 revival of Oklahoma, two drastically different shows. Yes. But you have Oh, What a Beautiful Morning on your new CD. Oh, wow. And and it's got uh, very much a flair of the uh, revival. Uh, now, this was recorded before the revival, right? Yes. Yes. This was recorded about t- 10 years ago. Yeah. So uh, tell us about the Oklahomas and, you know, what's it like to uh, to work on two of the same underlying properties that are drastically different and very, very different orchestras for both of them? Well, the, the first revival I was involved with uh, was pretty true and authentic to, I guess, the yeah. or, original show. What was fascinating with that one, we had a large orchestra and the orchestra was on stage and periodically you would see the orchestra. So musically, it was really thrilling. Uh, but it, it and it was and people enjoyed seeing something that they that they basically knew. It wasn't a, a reimagined version of Oklahoma. Now, the one that's the one that just won the the Tony. It started out off Broadway in Brooklyn at a place called St. Anne's warehouse. I knew nothing about it when it was there. I was not involved with uh, how those musicians were gotten for that show. I knew nothing about the orchestrations. I knew literally nothing. I had heard a rumor that there was some wacky doodle version of, <laughs> of Oklahoma going on in, in Brooklyn, but that's all I knew. And then I got a phone call 
from the uh, uh, general manager of the show and said, uh, we're moving to Broadway and uh, we could use your assistance transferring the thing to Broadway. So that's by the time I got involved with it, it was what it is. And fortunately, all those musicians that did it in Brooklyn came, uh, moved with the show to Broadway. And what was really a, a great joy for me is I didn't know any of those musicians. They were all from another kind of almost universe from the world that I travel in. There's a whole kind of a, um, kind of Brooklyn, downtown, um, classical, folk, uh, very creative, very creative stuff going on. And uh, so when I looked at some of these musicians' websites that I know I was going to be working with, I was just blown away. The, 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 the bass player, wonderful, wonderful bass player. Uh, one of her things is uh, she writes for solo, classical bass, and laptop. Hmm. So they're all involved with extremely creative uh, projects and well, well-schooled musicians, banjo player who can read very well, pedal steel player who can read, and a, I mean, a banjo player who plays a, a mandolin player who can play, you know, classical mandolin and bluegrass and jazz. And so it's really just fascinating. And the kicker for me was the orchestrator, uh, a guy named Daniel Kluger. When I spoke to Daniel on the phone, when I knew I was going to be involved and let him know that I'm here to help him in any way, I, I said to him, I said, Daniel, are you any relation to Joey Kluger? He said, I'm, uh, that's my dad. Hmm. I said, I was Joey's camp counselor at Camp DeConnick in Massachusetts. <laughs> so that was utterly delightful uh, connection. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, John, I want to thank you for joining us on Broadway Radio. Remind listeners that uh, John Miller, singer, bassist, Broadway musical coordinator, his new album, Stage Door Johnny, John Miller Takes on Broadway, is available. I'll have links to that in the show notes. You can take a listen to that, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning, which was uh, highly reviewed by USA Today. Congratulations on that review. Thank you. And, uh, John, have a great one. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, James. The sun is shining Such a beautiful day All the sounds of the earth Are like music The sounds of the earth Are like music The breeze is so busy It don't miss a tree And an old Weeping willow is laughing at me. Who can blame her? Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. 
is going my way. 